Hi, this is John Harter, and welcome to episode 32 of Keep On Grooving. Now, part two of three of our look at Eric Clapton during the time Jimmy was on the scene. We left off with Cream breaking up, but soon the idea of teaming up with another of the best artists on the scene at the time was about to come to fruition. When that comes to an end, he hangs around with a band who just wanted to play rock and roll, which helps give him the courage to do his own solo album. Before we move on to part two of Eric Clapton, a keep on grooving cream update. Listener Andy over in the UK, a.k.a. Dry Joy from the Hoffman Boards, pointed out there is a live version of I Feel Free on YouTube from Paris 1967. It's right around the length of the studio cut, you know, two and a half minutes, and it's basically note for note, like the one on the BBC. Always helps to go on over there, go YouTube fishing, and see what comes up. Thanks a lot, Andy. I'd also like to mention Mark Roberty's Eric Clapton, The Complete Recording Sessions, book is a godsend so thank you for your work on this i could not have done these episodes without it i'd have forgotten to include any number of appearances so thanks again mark episode 32 eric clapton 1969 to 1970 blind faith delaney and bonnie and eric clapton self-titled so as we mentioned we'll pick up the story in early 1969 cream has broken up as has another popular British band of the time, Traffic. That band was nominally led by the former lead singer of the Spencer Davis group, Steve Winwood. He'd been drawing attention with his powerful vocals at such a young age. As a teenager, he was doing Georgia On My Mind that some people compared favorably to Ray Charles. After a couple of big hits that crossed over the Atlantic, namely Give Me Some Love and Then I'm a Man, Winwood left the Spencer Davis group and helped start up Traffic, which had its roots in both English folk music and psychedelia. After two albums, internal tensions broke the band apart, more on the other end of that tension later. They did their own farewell album entitled Last Exit, which also was a little on the sparse side since there wasn't much extra laying around. We talked about Powerhouse a little bit last episode. It was a one-off group that ended up doing three songs for a 1966 Electra album sampler entitled What's Shaken? Steve was credited as Steve Anglo, and other than Eric and Jack Bruce, the band consisted of Pete York from Spencer Davis on drums, Paul Jones from Man for Man on harmonica, and Ben Palmer on piano. They did the first version of Crossroads, a version of Steppin' Out, and one other song I want to know. That one's odd since it has two vocals going back and forth, so you'd think it'd be good for Steve and Jack to do, but both vocals were done by Steve. At the beginning of 1969, Eric and Steve did some jamming and thought about making a group. Steve said he'd really love to have Ginger in the band. Now, much as Baker was a little leery of having Jack Bruce and Cream, Eric wasn't so sure it was a good idea since it would look odd to have two parts of Cream together so soon after they broke up. But again, the person with reservations relented, and Ginger joined the band in February. They began recording an album as a three-piece before adding Rick Gretsch of Family on bass and other various instruments. Somewhere along the way, someone came up with the name Blind Faith. Sort of ironic and prophetic at the same time. 
I mean, with all this talent, it's got to be good, right? Right? During the early Blind Faith sessions, maybe Eric felt a little guilty about having Ginger in the band because he went off to play at recordings for something called Super Show. It was a one-off project with a lot of the hot bands of the era. For example, Led Zeppelin made a notable appearance. One of the other segments featured a couple of super groups, there's that word again, with Eric on guitar. The first had Roland Kirk and Dick Hextall-Smith on sax and John Heisman on drums. The second had Buddy Guy, Stephen Stills, and Buddy Miles. Hmm. Think they thought about breaking out into somewhere? Also taking part in both bands was, you guessed it, Jack Bruce. He was on bass for the first one and organ for the second. It was another one of those things that sat in the vaults until the 90s, but I think the Zeppelin appearance leaked out somewhere along the way. I remember seeing or hearing it back in like the late 80s on bootlegs. Blind Faith made its live debut in early June in Hyde Park in London. They played all the songs off their soon-to-be-released album, an additional song recorded during the sessions but not released for almost 20 years, and two songs the audience would know. The first was a cover of the Rolling Stones, Under My Thumb. The second was a song from Traffic's second album, Means to an End. This was basically the set list for the band's brief European tour over the following two weeks. When the band reached the U.S. in July, they realized they needed to add some more familiar material, so they put a few Traffic songs in here or there, as well as Crossroads and eventually Sunshine If Your Love is a set closer. The Hyde Park show was recorded, but the tapes were not released yet again until, say it with me, the 90s. One other odd thing is Eric is playing a Fender Telecaster, but with a larger Stratocaster neck. You never realize how strange it was look until you actually see it. The band's first release was an anonymous single from Island Records, Steve's label, called Change of Address, since it came with the notice of the label's move. It wasn't announced who the single was, but eventually people figured it out. The album was released in August, and before anyone even cracked the record open, there was an issue with the cover. Someone thought it was a good idea to have a topless young girl holding a silver spaceship be the album sleeve. Apparently, they didn't take into consideration that people may have been an issue with that. Atco executives, Eric's label, were among those who weren't thrilled with it, and picked the back cover with the band on it to be used as the front cover. But somewhat surprisingly to this day, if you go to buy the Blind Faith album, the naked girl is still there on the cover. At least the ones on Jimmy's Electric Ladyland cover were of age. The album kicks off with an almost eight-minute guitar jam, Had to Cry Today. It was written not by Eric, but by Steve. In fact, he has three of the album's six compositions. Eric and Steve both take turns on guitar going back and forth. Winwood is best known for his keyboard skills, but he doesn't do bad on the guitar either. That's mostly him on Dear Mr. Fantasy back on Traffic's first album. This song is a little unfocused and meanders a bit, but has a great groove and some good interplay between the two towards the end. The next track has just Eric, Steve, and Ginger on probably the album's most popular song, Can't Find My Way Home. Eric and Steve are on acoustic guitars this time, with Ginger playing some very sparse but effective percussion. Again, their interplay complements each other well. 
Steve's vocals start off quiet, but then build toward the forceful finale. People reacted to it well for a reason. It wasn't until almost 20 years later that we found out there was another version of the song in the vaults, and this time it was electric. On the radio show promoting Clapton's Crossroads box set, producer Bill Levinson premiered the track, saying he had a choice to go with the original version or this new one and opted for the original. A few years later on Steve's Finer Things box set, he was able to rectify this omission by including it there. The electric version actually probably goes better with Clapton's set while the acoustic sounds better on Steve's, but you can make up your own playlist these days however you want, so the option is there. Next up is the album's sole cover, Buddy Holly's Well All Right. The arrangement starts off with a minor key instrumental passage that goes into a peppy version of the original, then for the end they bring back the minor key section and jam out on it until the fade out. When Santana did their cover of the song on 1978's Inner Secrets album, they based theirs on the Blind Faith arrangement. The side ends with Eric Clapton's first solo composition, Presence of the Lord. He doesn't sing on it. Steve does all the vocals on the album. Not sure if Eric was in a spiritual frame of mind at the time. It's basically a series of three verses with a slight change to the second. The middle section of the song where he breaks out the wah-wah pedal is probably the type of thing guitar fans most look forward to on the album. Probably wish it hadn't taken so long to get there and wish there had been more of it. It may have also inspired the break section of the carry-on questions combo from Crosby, Sills, Nash & Young's Deja Vu album since it's definitely not on the version from Buffalo Springfield's last time around. Side 2 kicks off with Winwood's third composition for the album Sea of Joy. Despite having joy right there in the title, it's another one with some minor key progressions. It also utilizes Rick Gretsch's multi-instrumental talents with a violin solo in the song's middle section. The album ends with Ginger Baker's contribution to the record, Do What You Like. If ever a song followed its own advice, it's this one. Think of it as a studio version of the live version of Toad, just with lyrics. To say it could use a bit of trimming here and there, um, that's an understatement. Fair to say the album doesn't exactly end on a strong note. If they wanted to push the side length limits a little bit, they did have a perfect album closer. One unreleased track Levinson did use for Crossroads was a cover of the blues song Sleeping in the Ground. The band cut it two ways, fast and slow. It was performed the slow way at Hyde Park. The version on Crossroads was the fast one. It would have pushed side two to 23 minutes or so, but in my opinion, it was a better ending. This is how I did it back in the 90-minute cassette days. The album is 42 minutes, so at 2.45, the fast version filled up the end of the tape nicely. The band did do a lot of other recording. Apart from the change of address one, there are numerous long jams done in various styles from blues, jazz, and even Afrocentric rhythms. But as far as song songs go... Eh, not too much. Something called Time Winds was a good length, 315 or so, but no lyrics were done for it. They did some rehearsals of Hey Joe, which would have been a very cool arrangement, slowed down and more expansive than Jimmy's version, but again, no vocals have leaked on that one. It didn't even make the two-disc deluxe edition from 2001. Basically, the band did just enough to get an album out, and then went out on the road.
And once again, as the tour went on, Eric got disillusioned with what he was doing. Only this time, it took one summer tour instead of a whole year. Among the opening acts for the U.S. leg of the tour was a down-home band led by husband and wife Delaney and Bonnie Bramlett. They had a big band and played good old rock and roll. Now, oddly enough, they'd also drawn in another guitar player who'd left the band recently, Dave Mason, who was in Traffic. It all ties together. Now they had two well-known guitars and would soon gain a third, more on that in a bit. So the decision was made to end Blind Faith at the end of the tour. Steve, Ginger, and Rick went off to do another project, which heads more into the traffic realm. So we'll talk about that in our traffic episode, which we'll do somewhere along the line. But believe it or not, Delaney and Bonnie are the focal point for several of the major albums in this era. After the tour ended, Eric then went on a run of guest appearances. He'd been showing up on other people's records long before While My Guitar Gently Weeps. He'd done a few for older artists like Otis Spahn and champion Jack Dupree. His highest profile one before the Beatles was on Aretha Franklin's Good to Me as I Am to You, where he does counterpoint to the Queen of Soul for the last minute of the song. He'd actually worked with George Harrison before While My Guitar, playing on a track for his first solo record, Wonderwall Music. And yeah, I think this is where Oasis got the name of their song from. He also did sessions with Harrison for Jackie Lomax's Sour Milk Sea, one of those great songs with a god-awful name. His old bluesbreaker producer, Mike Vernon, had him come in with a lot of other blues guys and gals. Christine Perfect, a.k.a. McVie, was there as well to record an album with Martha Velez. If that last name sounds familiar, yes, she is Jerry's sister. Mitch Mitchell actually played on the album as well, making me wonder if this is where Jerry began to work his way into Jimmy's sphere. Now, the first sessions Eric did after Blind Faith were for a Delaney and Bonnie single. The A-side was Coming Home, a rollicking little number a lot of my crowd in college didn't know existed until it showed up on Crossroads. The B-side was something that became a lot better known. It was a song called Groupie about a star-crossed girl's obsession with a rock star who may or may not care about her one way or the other. A year or so later, Richard Carpenter thought he'd make a good song for his sister Karen to sing, but given their images, he likely wasn't thrilled with the song title. Luckily. It did have a secondary name listed right there on the 45 sleeve, so they went with that. Superstar. Bonnie and Karen give two different interpretations of it, as does Luther Vandross with his version a decade and a half later, combined in the medley with Aretha's Until You Come Back to Me. Now, Eric may have played on a third song. We'll get to that one in a bit since it appeared on a couple of later albums. Once that was done, Eric was drawn back into the Beatles sphere once more. This time, he became the first guitarist of what became known as the Plastic Ono Band, led by John and Yoko. They were joined by Klaus Vorman on bass and, for the first recordings, Ringo on drums. They did a John song, Cold Turkey, on the A-side and Yoko's Don't Worry Kyoko on the B-side. He also helped out with Just One Look singer Doris Troy's new album for Apple. Much like playing with Jack Bruce at Super Show, I guess maybe Eric felt a little bad about the way Blind Fate ended, 
so he joined Rick Gress for some sessions to make a solo album. Two songs, Exchange and Mart and Spending All My Days, were accidentally released as bonus tracks for the first CD issue of Blind Faith. The actual album was never finished, and according to some recent postings by Mark Roberty, the tapes may have been destroyed at some point uh, back in the late 80s. On October 13th, Eric joined John, Yoko, Klaus, and Mr. Alan White on drums at a concert in Toronto. The band had so little time to rehearse, they just did what they could on the plane on the way over. The set consisted of several oldies, Your Blues, Cold Turkey, and Give Peace a Chance. Then Yoko did a number, or two, or three, it's kind of hard to tell. The set was eventually released on the Live Peace at Toronto album. While Eric was working on all these other sessions, Delaney introduced him to piano player Leon Russell. At the time, he was working with Joe Cocker making his second album, and they were doing Leon's song Delta Lady. Now, at the end of that song, there's a guitar solo with a very distinct Stratocaster sound, but it's not Eric. It's actually Leon who become far better known for his keyboard prowess. Eric did end up doing some sessions with Leon, playing with the rhythm section from Delaney and Bonnie's band, bassist Carl Radel and drummer Jim Gordon. Delaney also started prompting Eric to start doing his own solo album, so some sessions were recorded in London. One of these songs did eventually make the album, maybe. We'll talk about it when we get to the record itself. Starting in December, Delaney and Bonnie and Friends did a short tour of the UK and Northern Europe, doing a lot of the same places Jimmy did, and the Dead played on their Europe 1972 tour. Kind of must have been the continent's equivalent of the Chitlin Circle. The band at this point consisted of Delaney, Bonnie, Eric, Dave Mason, Carl Radel, Jim Gordon, keyboardist Bobby Whitlock, Jim Price and Bobby Keys on horns, and Rita Coolidge on backing vocals. Looking back on it, not too shabby of a lineup. This will be augmented during the second show of the UK run with George Harrison joining in. They genuinely played songs from Delaney Bonnie's first two albums, along with a number of covers and some new songs. Going off of what was on the box set of the tour that came out a few years back, the shows would generally open with Gimme Some Lovin', done kind of a lot like how the Blues Brothers would do it a decade later. They also did a Dave Mason original, Only You Know and I Know. Delaney and Bonnie did do a studio recording of the song. It may have been done at the same time as Coming Home with Superstar. If Eric's on there, he's not very prominent in the mix. Bobby Whitlock had a song in the set he'd done with Delaney and Bonnie, Where There's a Will, There's a Way. And Eric himself actually got to sing a song, an original entitled I Don't Know Why. A number of dates were recorded in the UK, and the decision was made to put out a live album. Delaney and Bonnie were signed to Electra Records after a tense situation with a possible contract with Apple Records. As luck would have it, soon after this album came out, Electra was bought out by ATCO, which just so happened to be Eric's label in the States. It appears all the songs on the album were taken from the final UK performance in Croydon, George Harrison resurrected Leangelo Misterioso for the third time on this record. Side One opens with Things Get Better, a cover they did on their first album. Next was Poor Elijah, their tribute to Robert Johnson. Mason's Only You Know and I Know was next, and the side ends with I Don't Want to Discuss It. 
not to be confused with Danny Witten's I Don't Want to Talk About. Side 2 started with a cover of That's What My Man Is For, Where There's a Will, There's a Way, and Coming Home Followed. And the album ends with a Little Richard medley of Tutti Frutti, The Girl Can't Help It, Long Tall Sally, and Jenny's Jenny. Surprisingly, Eric's singing number didn't make the cut, but it would be out soon enough. A little bit of Jimmy-related trivia here. The intro to one of the shows is done by Jeff Dexter. You may not know the name, but his distinctive accent is well-known. If you've heard In the West or Isle of Wight, that's him doing the intro there as well. Let's hear for Billy Cox on bass, Mitch Mitchell on drums, and the man with the guitar, Jimi Hendrix. Once the new decade came around, never mind the semantics, I know 1971 is technically the first year of the 70s, but the gang went to Los Angeles to continue working on Eric's solo album. They'd been joined by Leon Russell and by Stephen Sells on at least one song. By the time the album came out that August, Eric had been in like three other bands. Busy time. So let's do a track-by-track rundown, or should I say track-by-track-by-track. It turns out there are not one, not two, but three different mixes of the album. Eric left the tapes with Delaney, who produced the album, to do the mixes. At some point, Atlantic Records phone clapped it up and asked him what was going on. For some reason, he couldn't get hold of Bramlett, so the label sent Eric the tapes to mix and arrange the album. Now, Clapton had never done anything like this on his own, plus he still had some trepidation about his own vocals. The label got the tapes back after Eric was finished and said, uh, why don't we let Tom Dowd have a turn at this, okay? So the album as released is the Tom Dowd mix, with one exception, but it turns out Delaney had done his own mixing and own track listing as well. His was one song shorter than Eric and Tom's. So the album starts out with Slunky, an instrumental that almost starts mid-beat. The mixes by Tom and Delaney have Bobby Keys on sax starting the song off before Eric joins in about a minute 30 in. Eric's mix doesn't have the sax except in the back with the trumpet. All three have various forms of echo on the guitar, but overall, Slunky is funky. Not exactly what you were expecting from Eric's first solo record. Bad Boy is next, and it's very similar to an old blues song by Eddie Taylor. Tom's version is very stripped down and holds off on the horns until later in the song. Delaney's has the horns right from the beginning and also has a piano very high in the mix. Eric's version is over 40 seconds longer, has the horns all the way up, and also has a completely different vocal take. Tom and Delaney's have the uh, fast intro. Eric says, I'm just a bad boy. Where Eric's is more laid back. I'm just a bad boy. So, interesting choice there. Next is Lonesome and a Long Way from Home, at least on Eric and Tom's version. Delaney has this as the third track on side two. Dowd's mix is the shortest, but features the horns most prominently. Delaney's is about 20 seconds longer than Tom's and louder. Eric's is a full four minutes, which is 30 seconds longer than Tom's, and has a lot of echo. Jerry Garcia later covered this song and did it in his own inimitable fashion that went on for about, oh, 15 minutes. The next song on the Delaney mix and the next to last song on side one on the other two versions is Easy Now. It's interesting in that there's no Tom Dowd mix of the song. 
He listened to Eric's and thought it was good enough as it was, so he used that. Both Eric and Delaney's have the acoustic guitars on both sides, but Clapton pulls his vocals back into the mix and put a little echo on them. This is the only song on the album that Eric wrote by himself, more on his co-writers when we're done. Lyrically, it's um, about a guy saying how much he really likes a girl and um, wants her to have as much fun as he's having. Let's put it that way. Any more detail and I'd have to turn off the uh, clean switch. And if you think this song has double meanings, wait till we get to another song later on. The album's sole straightforward cover is After Midnight by J.J. Kale. It was Eric's first solo hit single in the U.S. hitting the top 20. This is also one of the odd cases where the album version is shorter than the single version. On the album, it's 2.52. On the single, it's 3.15. This is the version that's on Clapton's Best of Collection timepieces, and right now, practically, that's the only place you can get it. For some reason, it never shows up on any CD reissue of the album, even as a bonus track, until the box set came out with all three mixes. The other two mixes are very different in that they include the horn section, where Tom's mix does not. We got a first hint of what the full mix sounded like when Bill Levinson included Delaney's mix of the song on Crossroads. It starts off with a squeal of guitar feedback before the song kicks in with the horns and a long fade out at the end. Eric gives us a little extra studio chatter before the song starts. And yes, his vocals have a lot of echo. He kind of really wants to drown it out and bury it. Side one ends with a song Eric co-wrote with Leon Russell, Blues Power. Delaney's mix has the piano center left and the guitar on the right. Tom has the piano hard right and guitar in the center. Delaney's is more laid back. Tom's is more forceful on the vocals. Eric's once again gives us something extra. 30 seconds of warm up before his mix has the piano and guitar hard right. And yes, a lot of echo on the vocals and everything else for that matter. For a song that wasn't a hit single or got lots of airplay, it was in his live set list consistently for over a decade well into the 80s. Side two on all three versions kicks off with bottle of red wine. Eric's version is about 10 seconds shorter than the other two, and say it with me, has a lot of echo. No horns or backup singers on this one. It's basically a duet between Eric and Delaney. It's probably the most stripped down song on the album other than Easy Now. This one also stuck around in Eric's set list for most of the 70s. Loving You, Loving Me is next on all the mixes, but the individual ones are all different lengths. The main instrument difference is the drums. Eric and Tom's mix have them on the right. Delaney has it on the left and pushed way forward in the mix. Now, surprisingly, Eric doesn't use any echo on his vocals here. Tom's mix is around 320, Eric's is 345, and Delaney's is over four minutes. Now, Mark Roberty's book has this listed as being recorded in both Olympic in London and Village Recorders in L.A., so who knows which one for sure. I would guess it's likely from L.A. with all the other songs on the album, but we probably have to get the actual track sheets for the album to know for sure. Roberty has an updated version of his Sessions book, a two-volume set called Day by Day. Maybe he's got the answer in there. 
The next song is the one missing on Delaney's mix, Told You For The Last Time. They did cut a version of this in London, but with Delaney on vocals, and it's almost seven minutes long. Not sure why he left it off his version of the album. I mean, it's only two minutes and 30 seconds or so. Definitely would have fit. Eric's mix has the guitars balanced with the other instruments and no echo on the vocals again. Tom's has the piano way up front and almost overpowering everything but the main guitar. The next to last song on the album, I don't know why, was another one first done in London, then road tested during the December shows. That arrangement ran a little over five minutes. When they got to L.A., they recut the song. This arrangement is generally under four minutes. Delaney's mix was 3.45. Eric's mix is about 10 seconds shorter, while Tom's was a little over three minutes. His has the horns way up right from the start. The other two have them mixed in together. The final song in the album was going to be a song called She Rides. It's the one that has Stephen Stills pitching in on guitar and vocals. Interestingly enough, Eric mentioned that this song has some similarities to Buffalo Springfield's Questions, which is the song Stephen added the Presence of the Lord-like section when it was redone with Crosby Stills' National Young. Now, much like what happened with Lottie Mama and Strange Bruce somewhere along the way, everyone decided the song kind of needed new lyrics. So it appears in this case, Bonnie came up with a new set of lyrics and Eric and some of the guys redid the vocals. And with that, Let It Rain was born. Tom and Delaney's mixes are close. Tom doesn't have Eric slide up the neck right before the end solo. Eric's mix does include that as well as some more pre-song tune-up. He must have loved these. It also has echo on it, but the kind that made it sound like it would have fit right into like AM radio on that era, it's actually pretty cool. So overall, which do I prefer? Now, Tom Dowds is the most normal, so there's nothing wrong with it per se. Delaney's is missing the one song, but some of his mixes are very nice. He wanted to highlight Eric's vocals, so that's basically where it concentrates, even to the detriment of the guitar in a few cases. The first two on side two, Bottle of Red Wine and Loving You, Loving Me, I say are best on Delaney's. Now, I know why Atlantic had Tom Dowd come in and redo Eric's, but it's not like his is out and out unlistenable, just a little outside the norm. But you figure in that era, they would have been a little more lenient on it. I do like Eric mixes of Bad Boy, Blues Power, and Let It Rain, plus Easy Now is the default mix. As for After Midnight, I'd like to hear it with Tom Dowd's non-feedback opening just on Delaney's horn mix. That squeal of feedback, that open, it just doesn't work for me. Now, it took quite a while for us to get all three mixes. For 30-plus years, the Tom Dowd mix was the only one out there. Supposedly, a few of the pressings had the extended opening of Blues Power, but it's not clear if it was Eric's full mix of that song or just added on to Tom's, my guess is the former. Then once Crossroads came out with the Delaney After Midnight, that sparked interest in that mix. In 2006, MCA put out a deluxe edition that included Tom and Delaney's mixes of the album, plus the Coming Home Groupie Superstar single, an outtake called Blues in A Minor, and a song Eric recorded with King Curtis, Teasing. Now, I bought a boot that said it was the Delaney mix, 
when I listened to it, it was definitely different than the released version. But when I compared it to the Delaney mix on the deluxe edition, it was different from that one as well. Turns out, unknowingly, I'd gotten a hold of Eric's mix. Finally, in 2021, all three mixes, the single, the two bonus tracks, and the long version of Tom's After Midnight mix made it out in one big box set. That's as definitive as you're going to get for this album. Now, Delaney Bramlett seemed to have been a somewhat combustive individual. There's a famous story where Mick Jagger had wanted Bonnie to sing on the next Rolling Stones album, and Delaney turned him down cold. So Mary Clayton got the job. So now every time you hear Gimme Shelter in a Martin Scorsese movie, you hear Mary. After the big tour ended, all the quote-unquote friends left to do other things that we'll talk about later. They soon found other friends, including a very important one to Eric's story. But by 1972 or so, the act and the Bramlett's marriage came to an end. The breakup may have caused an odd situation. When I bought the 1970 album, I got it in uh, 1987. Wherever it had Bramlett listed as a songwriter next to Clapton, it had a B next to it, meaning Bonnie co-wrote them. I was more than a little bit surprised that she was that prolific. Then I saw later that most of the songs on the album were co-written by Delaney. So I'm wondering if that was some kind of a divorce settlement for a time and then eventually reverted back to the correct credits with Bonnie just getting credits for the lyrics on Let It Rain. One of their daughters, Rebecca, a.k.a. Becca, did hit the spotlight in the 90s as she ended up being the replacement for Stevie Nicks in Fleetwood Mac. Funny thing is the guitarist replacing Lindsay, or Rick and Billy technically, was none other than Dave Mason. That lineup didn't last too long. Delaney ended up sort of fading into the background and passed away in 2008. Bonnie, however, did return to the spotlight in a totally different capacity. Under her new married name, Bonnie Sheridan, she played one of Roseanne Connor's co-workers on Roseanne. First episode I remember with her was when they were doing kind of like a bowling tournament and her husband was going to do an acoustic set in the back of the alley, her husband being played by David Crosby. Now, my buddy Ray's band at the time, Romeo Zulu, was scheduled to play a bowling alley right around the same time. So when he saw that episode, he looked and he was like, okay, now I don't feel so bad. So at the end of the episode, David Crosby and Bonnie are doing this song. I'm like, I, I know that voice from somewhere. So the end credits are rolling up. I see the name Bonnie Sheridan. It doesn't ring a bell. Soon after that, there's this newspaper article or, or something or a song in the magazine, and it mentioned that she was previously Bonnie Bramlin. And I'm like, that's where I know that voice from. You just never know where people are going to show up. Okay, before we go, another in the this is just going to keep happening category. Neville Chesters, who was Jimmy's roadie, who were, he uh, worked under Jerry. Uh, from like 1967 to early 68, passed away this week. He was actually pretty prolific back then. He was uh, kind of road manager for The Who early on. He then went to work with Cream. He worked with, uh, and then he went to work with Jerry. And then he took some time away from the business and came back in the 70s to work with ELP. 
Then he went off and did something completely different and became a porno producer of sorts. There's an interview out there. You can, I'm sure you type in Neville Chester's RIP and that link will still be there. Supposedly, like I have a review where he talks about all this stuff. Interesting guy, but once again, these people are just going to keep leaving us as we keep going on in this. Uh... And then right as I was getting ready to record this, we got word last night that Gordon Lightfoot passed away. A kind of a, kind of a polar opposite of Jimmy's in terms of their sound and everything, but he. Uh, he was one of the first guys that I remember hearing on the radio back in the early 70s. So from like 71 through 76, that was his stretch. For what that music is, it's really great sounding. He had some interesting chords, interesting sounds in there, and he did have a way with lyrics. I know later on his last big hit, uh, Wreck of Edmund Fitzgerald, it, it sort of became a joke. And it's like, oh, you're really writing a song about a sinking boat, but... If you go back and listen to that, the way he paints a picture of that whole incident, the boat leaving the dock, the storm, and then what happened as they they mourn the loss of everything, it's it's really it's really one of the most emotional songs you're uh, you're gonna hear. So, but if you want something a little light, go listen to Sundown. <laughs> However, on the good side, last week. I think it was last week. It was Eddie Kramer's 81st birthday. So happy birthday, Eddie. Thank you for everything. I'm actually going to be talking about a different album of yours next episode. I'm looking forward to the box set and seeing what you did to it. So it's like, come on, let's get that out. Basically, enjoy these people's work while you can. Okay, guess what? Yep, I'm going to have to do another episode to finish up. We still got to talk about George Harrison's All Things Must Pass, Howlin' Wolf's London Sessions. We'll touch on a couple records Eric wasn't involved with, but do play a part in this era, Mad Dogs and Irishman and Alone Together. Then we'll finally get to Derek and the Dominoes, his sad sack love life, and later addiction that drove him out of the business for years. That'll be next time I keep on grooving. I'm John Hartshorn. Thanks for listening. 